this morning we're talking about anger. More deadly than life. No, simply a jumping off point for us to talk about specific things that you and I happen to deal with on a somewhat regular basis. And the third thing that we're looking at and, and that I talked about is that while all have sinned and all sin leads to death, all hope is not lost. All hope is not lost. That's an amen point. You, you missed it there. Let, let me just say that one more time so you can jump on with me, okay? Because all have sinned, all sin is deadly, but all is not lost. Okay, you know why? Because that's the story of Good Friday. When Jesus Christ died for my sin, it died for your sin. Because the wages of sin is death, but... The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord on Good Friday when Jesus uh, died on the cross. He shed his blood for you and for me to cover our sins, to pay the penalty of that sin, which is death. And Easter Sunday is the great revelation of what our future holds because of Jesus' death and resurrection. That we too who believe in Jesus Christ will one day rise again. That's awesome news. That's, if you can't smile about that, then you can't smile about anything, okay? So this morning, like I said, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about anger. And I remember when Sean and I were first married. Some of you can remember back, if you're married, you can remember to, to, to your, when you were first married. And maybe you made a commitment to your spouse. The same commitment that Sean and I made to each other when we were so in love and passionate about each other. A lot like today, but we're a lot smarter and wiser now, okay? But back then, we made, a, we made a, a commitment to each other that we would never go to bed, what? Angry. Did you make that same commitment? We did. And it lasted for about a month. And I remember we went to bed, and she was angry at me, and I was angry at her, and we were married for about a month, and the sheen of the honeymoon had gone away. And we went to bed, and literally, I'm laying on my side with my back to her. She's laying on her side with her back to me. And I'm just laying there. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm just like, you know, I've got kind of that, that whole conversation going on in my head. It's like, just apologize and get it over with. Don't apologize. You don't have anything to apologize for. She's the one who's wrong. Don't look at me judgmental. You've done the same thing. Okay, and I'm having this argument back and forth. Just, just get it over with and say I'm sorry. Remember, you made the commitment. Shut up, okay? And I'm just like back and forth, just having this conversation. So you know what I did? I didn't apologize. I didn't apologize, and I got the worst night of sleep that night. I mean, I barely slept at all, and woke up the next morning. I said to Sean, "You know, how'd you sleep?" And she said, "I didn't sleep very well. How did you sleep?" And I said, "I didn't sleep well at all, either." He's angry, went to bed angry. Do you know what the argument was about? I have no idea. <laughs> I can't remember. Isn't that how most arguments are? When we get angry a week later, we can't remember what it's about. Okay? And this morning, we're going to talk about anger. All right? Well, actually, we're going to talk about wrath. Okay? And there's a difference between the two. And here's the thing. We get angry at the craziest things. I know I do. We have a tendency to get angry at the dumbest things. 
In fact, for a lot of us here, I can just throw a picture up on the screen. All I have to do is throw one picture up on the screen. Ha! Ha! I caught you! Some of you even went, ooh, okay, at one of those pictures. All I have to do is throw a picture up on the screen and our blood begins to rise. We begin to get a little bit tense. We begin to get a little bit angry at what? At a person, at a politician, at a vendor who didn't treat me right at the basketball game. At all of these different things that we look at. And, and, it, and the truth of the matter is, we live in a culture of anger. We live in a culture of anger. We live in a, a society that is looking for reasons to be offended. I hate, and I know I'm saying that word hate, I hate the word offended. You know why? Because it gets thrown around so much that it has lost its meaning to be offended. I'm offended by people who are offended, okay? All right? But that's the culture that we live in. We live in a culture of anger, a society that is continuously looking for things to be offended by. We find things to be angry about, don't we? We almost look for them. I remember when I was, you know, in my, I think I was in my 20s or 30s, and I remember there was a late night talk show host, I won't say who it was, he's no longer on the air, uh, but, but I remember I would literally, I'm not lying to you, and don't judge me because I know you do the same thing in other ways, I would watch his show just to get angry. I would watch his show just to be mad. Because I liked being mad, okay? We look for things to be angry at. And then our anger sits and it ferments and it, it stagnates and it boils and until it can no longer be contained and then it becomes wrath. And then it becomes wrath. But, but here's the thing that you and I need to understand. Ready for this? Anger, in and of itself, is not sin. Anger, in and of itself, is not sin. Okay, you heard me right. Scripture tells us that God got angry. Scripture shows us, which we're going to look at a couple of examples here in a few minutes, Scripture shows us times when Jesus, God in the flesh, God incarnate, Scripture shows us when Jesus got angry. There's a difference between righteous anger and unholy anger. There's a difference between righteous anger and unholy anger. Unholy anger or wrath is what sin is. Let me, let me show you a couple of examples of what the scriptures say. Okay? The scriptures say in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, it says, In your anger, do not sin. 
in your anger, do not sin. So what does that say to you and me? It says that we have the ability to be angry without sinning. Am I right? Isn't that how you would read that? In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Just going to give you a quick Greek lesson. I know some of you are going, dug, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. I got here late and I wasn't able to get my cup of coffee. I don't know if I can handle Greek right now. Okay, listen, it's going to be helpful. It's going to be helpful, okay? The Greek word for anger right here that the Apostle Paul uses is the Greek word orge, orge. Say that with me, orge, okay? And that Greek word, you ready for this? It means impulse and wrath. It means impulse and wrath. Are you getting the picture of what that anger word means? It's that flash anger. You know, like when you take gas and throw it on a fire? Some of you are like, no, I have no idea because I'd never do anything that dumb, okay? Tim, I love it because you and I, I saw you go, I do. (laughs) All right? I do, yep, Jim, okay? Let's just say that most men here know what I'm talking about, okay? When we take gas and we throw it on the fire, what happens? (laughs) Right? It's flame up, gone. Flame up, gone. Just (laughs) like that, right? That's what this word is. Impulsive wrath. Okay, it's the anger that says things that we regret almost immediately. It's the anger when we do things and we step back a minute later, five minutes later, a day later and go, oh Lord, I wish I would have never done that. That's, that's what Paul's talking about here. In your anger, in your impulsive wrath, do not sin. Do not sin. And do, uh, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Do you see what our anger does? Our anger, our wrath, gives Satan a foothold in our life. It is an opening in the doorway to our life that Satan enters through. Okay? In fact, Scripture says this in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. James says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become what? Angry. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires. See what James is saying there? Our anger, not God's anger, not the righteous anger, but the wrathful anger that we exhibit does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Okay? So, if anger in and of, in and of itself is not sin, when does it become sin? When does anger become sin? I'm going to give you three quick things when anger becomes sin, okay? Uh, the first thing is when anger focuses on self. When anger focuses on myself, okay? Whenever you read scripture, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this in just a minute. Whenever you read scripture, when Jesus got angry, who, was the, who were the victims of what was going on when Jesus got angry? Was it ever Jesus? Was it ever Jesus? Was he ever the victim when he got angry? And the answer is no. No, he wasn't. So anger that becomes wrath, that is self-centered, saying, you did this to me, 
is when we start moving into a sinful nature. The second thing is when it focuses on revenge. When it focuses on revenge. God's anger is always a righteous anger, not focusing on on revenge, but focusing, you ready for this? And you should write this down. Not focusing on revenge, but focusing on redemption. On redemption. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Revenge is when, is when I'm out to get you because of what you have done to me, which leads to the third thing, and when it focuses on overstated retribution. The punishment doesn't fit the crime. The punishment doesn't fit the crime. I have a four-year-old who lied to me, and I say, you were on restriction for 30 years. <laughs> the punishment does not fit the crime, okay? When we overstate, when we overdo, when we go after someone in retribution for what they have done to us, okay? So here's the thing, and I think you, you probably want to write this down, okay? Is the difference between anger and sin, okay? The difference between anger and sin is this. It's control. It's control. The difference between anger and sin is control. Anger and wrath is control. When I get to a point that my anger, you ready for this? When I get to a point when my anger is controlling me, when I get to a point that when I see a person or a group of people and all of a sudden they haven't said anything to me, I haven't been by them, around them, okay? But I just see them across the, the, the walkway. I see them in another part of the building. I see them, you know, driving and I see them and all of a sudden that anger flashes within me. When I get to that point where I can't get that person off of my mind, and I keep reliving those thoughts of what that person did to me, or what that group of people said to me, or what happened in this situation or circumstance that, that took me to a place that humbled me, or, or it made me look bad, and I can't get it out of my thoughts. I want to get them back. It's controlling me. Do you see what's happening there? It's a control issue, my friends. That that anger is controlling me. It's controlling my thoughts. It's controlling my emotions. It's controlling what I want to do. Whenever I look at somebody and say, I wish that person was what? Dead. I wish they were dead. When we rejoice in the fact that bad things happen to other people, that's a problem. That's a problem. Am I right? It's a problem. Our anger is controlling us. And, and we can say that about a lot of the sins that we're talking about, that when it becomes an issue of control, it's kind of weird, but that has become a God to us, right? Because a God is anything that interferes with our relationship with God the Father. When anything but God the Father controls our life, when the Holy Spirit is no longer in control of my life, that has become a God. The issue in our lives is control. Okay, when I can no longer control myself, that is wrath and that is sin. I like what Buchner 
wrote. Buchner wrote this. Frederick Buchner said, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. Anger is possibly the most fun. Now listen to what he writes. This is incredible. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come. To roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come. To savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are given back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. Now catch what he says at the end here. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. That's almost painful to read, right? Because we justify in our minds that my wrath is is honorable. And my anger at that person and my desire for revenge and retribution is deserved. It's justified. It's honorable. But the fact, like Buchner says, that the skeleton is me. My anger is feasting on me. That's an incredible thought for us. And when you think about it, it's interesting what happens when we give in to wrath. The consequences, the things that affect us in wrath. I, I, I wrote these down. Wrath is, wrath is guilt-inducing. Wrath is guilt-inducing, right? It's one of those things, I was thinking about this, I never walk away feeling better about myself. When, I have you, when wrath has overcome me, when I have come to a position where I have said something in anger, and in that moment, I, I, I thought about this, and I wrote this down, the fact that wrath is momentarily euphoric. Wrath is momentarily euphoric. It's that moment when we say those cutting words, when we take that action, and in the moment we're like, man, that felt good. And a minute later, we're filled with shame. Have you ever been there? Or am I the only one? Momentarily euphoric. And a moment later, filled with shame and regret okay it's guilt inducing and i said this i never walk away from wrath feeling better about myself it's self-destroying it's self-destroying okay the more i ponder what i just did the worse i feel about me And a lot of us live in the country of guilt. A lot of us live in the state of regret. Why? Because of anger in our lives. It's guilt-inducing. It's self-destroying. And it's relationship-crushing. Anger, wrath, crushes relationships. In those moments when I say things that I can never get back, you've heard the old illustration. It's like trying to put toothpaste back in the tube, right? That's what wrath is. We can never get it back. We can never take it back. And in a relationship, it crushes people. 
and souls and lives. It's crushing, okay? And we can see the difference. Now, here's the beauty of it. We can see the difference between wrath and righteous anger in the Lord Jesus Christ. We get an example of the difference between righteous anger and wrathful existence. And there's two different scriptures that we look at. There's two different passages in scripture that we can read and see this in Jesus, okay? The first one is found in John chapter 2. John chapter 2, we're going to read it together real quick. It says this, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he... So Jesus made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. What was Jesus angry at? What was he mad at? Let's back up for a second, just for for a moment. And let's think about when Jesus was questioned... What is the most important commandment? What is the most important commandment? Jesus quoted the Shema. Okay? And he quoted out of Deuteronomy. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Love the Lord your God. And then Jesus added to it. And he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love people. That's what Jesus said. Now, flash forward here to the book of John. Why does Jesus get angry? Why does he get mad? They were disrespecting his father and they were abusing the people who were coming in to worship his father. How were, they, how were they doing that? They had a little method going on. The people who were buying and selling the sheep and the coins and things like that. Is they, people would bring in their offering and they were to bring in a perfect animal. They were to bring in a perfect dove, a perfect sheep, a perfect goat that had no blemish on it. And they would bring it in and it would have to be examined. It would have to be examined by a religious leader, and they would examine it and go, nope, this isn't good enough. You're going to have to buy another one. And they would basically impound that one, and this person would have to buy, at an exorbitant price, another animal. Now, here's where it came into play. They would take that animal, put it away for now, and then resell it at the exorbitant price. The religious leaders were abusing the people who were coming to worship God. And Jesus got angry. He got angry because these people were abusing God and were abusing the people who came to worship God. His anger was because others were being abused. The second one, the second passage of Scripture that we see Jesus' anger in is found in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. It says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Now, just for a second, who are the they? Who are the they? It says uh, some of them were looking. Who are the them? The religious leaders, the Pharisees, the, the, the religious people of the time who are supposed to know God's law, who are st- supposed to know why God does what God does. And it says... Uh, Uh, Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, and who's the them? The religious leaders. So Jesus asked them, 
Which is lawful on the Sabbath? Because these people would know the law. Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. They wouldn't answer his question. They just sat there staring at him. And it goes on to say this. Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. What was Jesus' anger at? His anger was at these people that they were way more interested in the law than they were about a life. They were way more interested in the letter of the law than they were about a life. And the, the entirety of the Bible, every verse, every historical event, every poem, every narrative, every parable, the life of Jesus itself is based on the redemption of humanity. And Jesus' anger was at the fact that these people who knew God's law could not see that God's law was in place, not so that we would live by rules, but because God wanted to redeem us. He wanted us to have life, as John 10, 10 says, life overflowing. And these guys would rather settle on the law than to give life. It made Jesus angry. Not just angry that they were all about the law, and they couldn't give life. But I believe that Jesus' heart was broken for these same people, that their hearts were so hard that God had redeemed them as well. In these two examples from the life of Jesus, anger is righteous when it is focused on the abusing of others. Righteous anger is born out of love. Righteous anger is born out of love. Okay, I, I love what, uh, in, in fact, let me just for a second just let you know there's a few books that I've been kind of using and going to use in this series. One is called Glittering Vices by Rebecca Conendike DeYoung. Another one is called The Seven Deadly Sins, A Visitor's Guide. Okay, and the third one is actually written by Steve Deneff, who is a Wesleyan pastor down in Indiana, and he wrote Seven Saving Graces, Living Above the Deadly Sins. Okay. And, and interestingly, Rebecca Conan Dyke DeYoung, when talking about, about this idea of, of wrath and love, check out what she wrote. She wrote this, anger, when it is a holy emotion, has justice as its object and love at its root. root. Both love and justice are focused on the good of others. Check out that line again. Both love and justice are focused on the good of others. See, when wrath comes because of me, because of how I have been offended or how I have been hurt, when wrath becomes revenge, it's out of line with the character of God. Because God's anger is based in love. God's anger is rooted in Injustice and love. And so as we, as we kind of wrap this up, I was thinking about this. How do we keep anger in check? How do we keep anger in check? How do we have 
holy and righteous anger, which we do need to have. There are things going on in our culture today where we should be angry, where we should take a stand, where we should move forward in action. So how do we differentiate those things that are holy and righteous anger and wrath? Okay, what do we do? And I think we need to kind of cleanse, cleanse ourselves. I, I like what... Uh, Kona Dyke wrote, or DeYoung wrote, she wrote this, it's not on the screen, but check this out. She wrote, given how much of our anger is selfish rather than just, practicing the regular purgation of anger would likely be a worthwhile discipline for us. Practicing the regular purgation of anger would likely be a worthwhile discipline for us. What does that mean? Well, I asked HP if I could borrow his trumpet. I have no idea even how to hold this thing. Okay, but I, I know there's one thing I know I'm going to be really careful because this is a very valuable trumpet. Okay, there's one thing I know about a trumpet that when you blow in it, which I'm not going to do because everyone knows HP has cooties. Um, <laughs> when you blow on this, you're not just blowing air. How many of you are musical? Musical. Okay, when I'm blowing in this trumpet, I'm not just blowing air. What else am I blowing in? Say it louder spit okay when i'm blowing in the trumpet i'm not only blowing in air i'm blowing in spit which is why this right here is so important this is a what spit valve right which is pretty disgusting when you think about it that the whole idea is to tilt and pop this valve open and all of hp spit comes rolling out of here okay why because that spit is going to impact the clarity and the beauty of the notes that HP is playing. So he's got to purge the trumpet of the spit. You and I, in our lives, have to oftentimes purge our life of the anger that builds up. We've got to purge our lives of the anger that builds up within us because that anger that builds up as I said earlier begins to fester it begins to get ugly and it begins to impact the beauty of the notes that God created your life to be that make your life attractive to people who don't know Jesus that they'll want to come to know Jesus and sometimes we just have to clear the spit valve of our lives of anger. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Three things I would share with you quickly. Because here's the thing. The heavenly virtue that combats wrath. Okay, remember, I told you we're not just going to focus on the sin. We're going to focus on the virtue. The heavenly virtue that combats wrath is peace inspired by love. Peace inspired by love. Three areas of peace that you and I must have in order to have righteous anger, to combat wrath in our lives. Three areas of peace inspired by love. The first area is peace with God. You and I have to have peace with God. When I come to that place of understanding that God is not only with me, but God is for me, God is not against me, but God wants the best for you and for me, then I begin to have peace in my life. Okay, just think of what Romans 
8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God has the best for you. When we can make peace knowing and understanding there's nothing that I can do that will ever bring me to a place of acceptability. No amount of money I can pay. No, no material possession that I give. No, no act that I can do that will ever put me in a place of right standing. That it is only through God that I can have eternal life. Then I begin to have peace in my life. I begin to have peace in my life. And when that peace comes to a point of God in my life, then I can begin to have peace with others. I must have peace with others. And that peace, you ready for this? You're going to want to subtitle this, put a little dot down there. That peace is shown in forgiveness. That peace is shown in forgiveness. Because one of the first things I have to do to come to peace with God is acknowledge the fact that I have sin in my life. And the only way that sin is gone is when I ask for forgiveness from God. And I begin to have that peace with God. And then I begin to understand that the only way that I can have peace with others is when I forgive them. Isn't that what Jesus did? Remember I told you that rarely, if ever, do we ever see Jesus getting angry about something that is done for him? If, if a lot of you here are familiar with when Jesus was hanging on the cross and the people were verbally abusing him, physically abusing him, spiritually, emotionally, mentally abusing him, and on the cross, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Could there be a greater example, my friends? How could Jesus have peace in a life when people literally were crucifying him? Because he had a heart of forgiveness for things that were done to him. If you and I begin to understand that idea, that thought of forgiveness. But God, you don't know what that person did to me. You don't know what my dad did to me when I was younger. You don't know what my neighbor said to me that hurt me. You don't know what my colleague did. You don't know. Doug, you're right, I don't. I don't. And I'm sorry that it happened to you. I genuinely am sorry. But that does not change the fact that you will never Purge that anger from your life. You will never be at peace with others until you can forgive them. I didn't say forgive and forget because that's virtually impossible for us as humans. That's only possible for God. And I'm not saying forgive and become best friends with that person. That's not what I'm saying at all, my friends. I'm not saying that once you forgive them that you have to be happy, happy, joy, joy whenever you see them, that you give them a giant hug and you want to hang out with them all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But you can forgive them. You can forgive them and move on in your life and have peace, which leads to the last thing, and that's to have peace with myself. To have peace with myself. 
only when I have peace with God and only when I have peace with others can I have peace with myself. And all of that comes when we clear the spit valve of anger in our lives. When I, uh, this is a simple thing and I don't want to trivialize the anger that some of us live with in our lives that we have been abused physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I, I, I get it, I understand. And I'm not trying to trivialize. I am trying to remember that I am a sinner saved by grace. That I have offended others as well as have been offended myself. And when I say offended, I'm not talking the trivial offense that we're talking. I'm talking about hurtful things. And I know that I have a situation where this is very simple, but I do not get angry when people are late for meetings. Five, ten, twenty minutes late, thirty, or they don't show up at all. They dog me. They they don't show up. They they leave me stand. They they leave me hanging. They stand me up, however you want to say it. And you know what? Ninety-nine percent of the time I don't get mad. You know why? Because I have been late so many times. I have left people standing so many times. I get an email or a text or an instant messenger, messenger message that says, where are you? And I'm like, what do you mean, where are you? We're supposed to meet this morning at 7 o'clock. And I look at it and I'm like, oh, no, no. I forgot. I'm so sorry. I forgot. I don't get mad. I don't get mad at people. Extremely rarely do I get mad. Why? Because I've done it myself. And when I come to that place of understanding that I myself have needed forgiveness, when I myself have made others angry by the actions that I have done or the words that I have said, when I remember that I am a sinner saved by grace, I can begin to live a forgiving life and have peace with others. I can extend the grace to others because God first extended grace to me. Friends, that's how we deal with anger. Would you stand up with me? And we're going to sing a song that is very, very apropos for this moment. We're going to sing Amazing Grace sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me and if God extended me grace then I need to extend grace to others so let's bow our heads father thank you for this time this morning thank you God for the grace that you have extended to me and to us thank you God for the for the the emotion of anger thank you God that that emotion of anger is 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 something that was within you that you get angry when other people are hurt, are marginalized, are abused. Jesus, you gave us the perfect example of what righteous anger looks like when other people are taken advantage of. Jesus, for you, it was never selfish. It never was revenge-worthy. It was always out of a desire for reconciliation with humanity. And I pray, God, I know as Sean and I were talking about this vice of anger, I know that 
that Sean has told me how many times that I have stood on this stage and talked about things that made me angry. And God, I pray for myself and I pray for my friends here that we would move away from wrathful anger, from vengeful anger, that desires for um, to give people their comeuppance. And God, that we would see them with your eyes, with eyes of love, that we would transfer our anger into forgiveness so that we'll, people will see the peace of God that resides within us. We love you, God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.